Hi, my name is Jana Metzger. Welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. That in the gospel, we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies the implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Today, we are in this sermon series about adversity, and today we are staying in the book of Daniel, but we are fast-forwarding three chapters to Daniel chapter 6. Last week, we were in Daniel 3, study the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the fiery furnace of adversity that they faced. Now this week, we turn to the character of Daniel and the adversity that he faces through the teeth of the lion. We have a new king of Babylon, and with a new king of Babylon comes new forms of torturing disobedience, I suppose. The fiery furnace wasn't good enough, so now we're moving up to lion's dens. I don't know, is that an upward move or a downward move? You know, whichever way you want to go. Now, interestingly enough, we talked about this a lot last week. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego has been very politicized. In recent years, with with turmoil and angst in the government and stuff, that story has been pointed to. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have become these poster boys of, you know, forget you, government, we can do whatever we want. If the government tells me something I don't want, I can say forget it and do whatever I want, right? But the same thing does not happen with Daniel. None of these on, you know, both sides of the political party, if you're sitting here as a, you know, Republican, you're probably thinking, yeah, those stupid Democrats, they always are pointing to shit. And if you're, you know, Democrat, you're thinking, yeah, those stupid Republicans, they're always pointing. That's how we do, right? But both sides are guilty, but interestingly enough, neither side points to Daniel. Neither side says, hey, look, look at this Daniel character. Look at how he says, and do you know why? Because Daniel doesn't say a word. Have you ever noticed that in the story of Daniel in the lion's den? Daniel, very much like Jesus. Now, we talked about this last week. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they've got that kind of quippy thing in there, right? where they respond to King Nebuchadnezzar and say, you know, hey, king, our king is strong enough to deliver us, but even if he does not, we will not bow, right? And so lots of times we take that, but that, it's actually a mistranslation. People who understand the original language and the cultural context, they will tell you it's a mistranslation. It is not meant disrespectfully. But Daniel, just like Jesus, doesn't say a word on his way to the lion's den. Does he agree with the decision? No. Does he do what the government says? No. But he 100% submits silently and goes to the lion's den. Those stupid pacifists. Oh, wait. Daniel's the hero. Oh, boy, now we've got this conflict, don't we? What are we supposed to do now? I'm so glad you asked. We learn what to do through, surprise, surprise, the promise, facing the storm, 
and the anchor. So today we look at the promise of adversity that Daniel faces, how Daniel faces that storm, and then the anchor to whom Daniel clings. So first, let's jump in. The promise. What is the adversity that Daniel faces in this story? And if you were joining us last week or if you listened online, caught the podcast, you know what's coming because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the adversity they faced was not the fiery furnace. Remember, we Americans, we like the big and flashy, don't we? Right? The bigger, the better. And so we get our, we, and this, is, this isn't just Americans, this is everybody, right? When, when we see something big and flashy, like a fiery furnace, whoa, look how fiery that is, right? It's like the pizza oven, right, guys? You all want the new pizza oven that you can cook the pizzas? Mark's got a pizza oven, party at the Hecklinger's house. You know, but we all, more fire, the better, right? The hotter it gets, the better. So we see this fiery furnace, ooh, that's fancy, but that's not the adversity, in the story of Daniel, we see the lion's den, and it's fancy, it's flashy, it's scary. So, of course, that's the adversity, but it's not. That's facing the wrong storm. So what is the right storm? And we see it in the intro to, the, to the Daniel chapter 6. It says this, It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom, and over them three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be able to be accountable to them, and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. I wonder who that was. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption, inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Here's Daniel's problem. It's a tale as old as time. Co-workers. <sighs> They're all terrible, aren't they? I'm just kidding, kind of. Daniel's problem is jealous co-workers, right? And, and really is envy, because these co-workers are gunning for his position. But the problem is Daniel's blessed. Daniel does things God's way, and lo and behold, God's way's right. And it gets him ahead, right? And so these co-workers, they can't just take Daniel out, so they got to find some way to trap him. But the problem is they can't, because Daniel walks with integrity. They try, and they try, and they try. It's like the best political campaigns, right? We've got to find dirt on this guy. We've got to find some way to take him down. Surely there's some corner that he's cut, right? but there wasn't. We've talked about this, hey guys, remember? I've said this before, but when God keeps coming back at us with a theme after a theme after a theme, keeps hitting us with it, that usually means, hey, pay attention. I want to get this through your thick skull. That's what he does when he talks to me, right? He keeps saying it until we get it, right? But we've talked about what happens when you walk with integrity. Simply walking, simply living your life 
with integrity is going to make people hate you because it brings out the worst in them, right? That's why all these encounters, we talked about this in the revival series, all these encounters with God, that's why when we come and we encounter God, there's that, there is a knee-jerk reaction. You can admit it or not. You can sit here and pretend that every time you encounter God, you're like, oh, yay, this is great. But it's not that way. If it's a real encounter with God, there is an immediate reaction where it's, ugh, right? Not because there's anything wrong with him, but it, because everything's right with him, and it makes you realize how far off you are. You see all of the stain and all of the, the ways that you've fallen short, Right? That's what happens with Isaiah the prophet when he comes in and sees God. He says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, right? I am undone. And that's what happens when we meet with God. But it also happens on a much lesser level when a person with integrity walks. And these people, Daniel's co-workers, are continuously rubbed the wrong way by Daniel's integrity. So they try to catch him in it, but they can't. But then, then they get smart because they realize we will not find any ground of accusation against Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Let's pause for just a minute here. How cool is this? Not by the coworkers. That's kind of shady by the coworkers, right? But y'all... Can you imagine? I mean, I'll be real with you. I wish people could say this about me, right? If somebody's trying to find dirt on Jeremy Metzger, that they said, man, we just can't find anything. He lives with such integrity day in and day out. The only way we're going to be able to trap him is if we find something he obeys God on that we can turn illegal. What kind of integrity is that, right? How cool is it that that's how much integrity Daniel walked with? What if we were that kind of people? What if we were that kind of church that the only accusation people could bring against us were accusations that pertained to the laws of our God? It'd be pretty cool, right? Now, we've talked about this a lot in this sermon series. But the problem we have today is that there's a lot of churches and a lot of Christians who take a lot of pride in being accused for standing for things that aren't biblical. For standing for things that don't have anything to do with the law of God. But if we face the right storms, if we face those eternal storms, those eternal battles, and not just the worldly ones, this is going to blow your minds, but if we walk by the Spirit and do only what the Holy Spirit says, only what the Holy Spirit shows us to do, we can make the same statement that Daniel makes. Because in this epic case of entrapment, that really was the only thing that Daniel's co-workers could find against him, and it works. Then these commissioners and satraps came to agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. 
All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document, that is, the injunction. Now again, we talked about this last week. We can rush to the lion's den because we know how the story ends, right? We've seen the Veggie Tales episode. We know the cucumber gets thrown. I don't remember, was it a cucumber? Somebody gets thrown into the lion's den. There's an asparagus in there somewhere, I think. But it's very easy to focus on the lion's den. Just like it was very easy to focus on the fiery furnace. But that is the wrong storm. The real battle, the battle with eternal consequences, is Daniel's decision once he knows that this document has been signed. Do I go man's way or do I go God's way? And it'd be really easy to justify. You guys notice it says it's only 30 days, right? If we put ourselves in Daniel's shoes, if I put myself in Daniel's shoes, how easy would it be? Okay, God will understand. I've only, I've only got to cool this 30 days. God, just 30 days without praying. It's, he understands, right? Grace. But he doesn't. Because Daniel is facing the right storm. Because there's a bigger lion in this story. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us, Be of sober spirit. Be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Christian, there is a bigger lion that we need to focus on. That's the real storm. That's the real conflict. That's the real lion's den. And you want to talk about a lion's den, we're living in it right now, right? Not right now, like this cultural moment right now, but this, the world, right? After the fall of Adam and Eve, we're stuck in the lion's den. And there's only one way out of it. But praise God, our lion the lion of Judah, he's bigger than that other lion, right? The lion in you, the Holy Spirit living inside of you has a roar infinitely bigger than this other little pup rolling around, right? I think we're going to get out of this world and we're going to look back at everything. Actually, I don't even know if that's true. When we get out of this world, we're probably just going to look at Jesus and who needs to even look back. But I, I, anyway, I think we're going to look back and we're going to look at these lion's den moments in your own life. Every single person here, I know this because this is life. You've all got a lion's den moment, right? Everybody goes through it. Everybody goes through the lion's den. Some of y'all are walking through a lion's den right now. There is something right now. Jackie talked about it, you know, carrying your cross. This is life. This is why this adversity sermon series is such a big deal. Surviving this life, learning to walk with Christ through adversity. It's the biggest thing you're ever going to learn. The biggest thing you're ever going to face. But I am convinced 
when we get out of this world, we're going to look back and we're going to look at this, this verse. And we're going to look at this adversary prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And all of these moments on this earth where we feel like the enemy's just roaring in our face and it's deafening, right? Whatever that storm is, we're going to look back and we're going to realize, <laughs> he was all bark and no bite. The enemy got nothing on me. Right? Because that, not, not because, look, look, that's not to minimize your pain. That's not to minimize what you're walking through. But that's how big our God is. And we need to face these lion's dens with our big God in mind. Right? It's that cheesy worship pastor saying, all the worship pastors in America say it at one point. Right? Don't, don't tell God how big your mountain is. Tell your mountain how big your God is. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I get it. It's horrible comfort to somebody who's actually suffering. But anyway, but we are going to look back on these things and we're going to realize the devil has no power. I love it. We're in the book of Mark right now. We're doing it in our men's Bible study and that's where we're at in our Bible in a year plan. But there is a passage that we read this week where, you know, these, Jesus is casting out these evil demons. And it's, it tells us, the Bible tells us, Jesus would not give them permission to speak for they knew who he was, right? Guys, we're not, we're not talking about like, you know, they, they, don't, they don't have permission to enter you. No, it's, it's better than that. They don't even have permission to speak. That's how much bigger Jesus is than all of this stuff. But we've got to keep that eternal perspective. Our lion is bigger, but it's so easy to get pulled away because what we're walking through is right here, right now, that we lose sight of the eternal consequences. Before we move on, I want to draw your attention to something subtle, a subtle difference that we see between this week's story and last week's story. Last week's story was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We see the king, Nebuchadnezzar, asking Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to bow to an idol, right? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse, say, we will not bow to this unworthy idol. This week, that shifts, and these should be very oddly familiar to us. Satan doesn't have any new tricks, y'all. He's been doing the same tricks from the very beginning. It's because they work, unfortunately. But when Satan can't get you to bow to an idol, he says, okay, then just don't bow to your God. And that's exactly what he does with Daniel here. He knows Daniel's not going to bow to any idol. And so he tries to switch it subtly and says, okay, you're not going to bow to an unworthy idol, then don't bow to your worthy God. But Daniel refuses. And again, it's like we said, it's just 30 days, right? Just 30 days. And y'all, Daniel could have prayed. Have you guys ever prayed in your head, Right? You're just walking about your day, praying. I pray all the time. It's, that's how, uh, you know, nobody knows I'm praying, but I'm praying all the time. Daniel could have pulled that number, but he didn't. Daniel could have built a prayer closet. We all have prayer closets now, right? After the war room movie, we all do prayer closets now. Daniel could have done a prayer closet, and Darius would have been like, cool, Daniel, just shut the door. Don't let me see it. 
but he refused. Everything in Daniel's life worshipped God. Everything in Daniel's life brought glory to God, and Daniel didn't care who saw. Because as soon as this injunction is passed, Daniel does the right thing. He goes and he does the right thing. Lots of times in this world we can get focused on sins of commission, right? Sins of commission are, are like the wrong things. Murder, adultery, you know, all, all theft, the things we shouldn't do. But sins of omission, that means not doing the right thing, those are so much easier to justify, aren't they? Right? We see a need. The Bible says when you see a need, you respond to it, and we don't. Because it's easier. Well, God, I was busy. God, I just don't have time to read my Bible. You understand. You get me. God, I just don't, I don't have the focus to, to maintain a consistent prayer life. You've got the focus to play Candy Crush on your phone, right? You've got the time and focus to balance your family's personal budget. Yeah, but I have to do those things. But what if we viewed our spiritual disciplines as much as we do taking care of our family? our financial disciplines, our, our disciplines at, at work or school. Because that's how important it is. And Daniel knew this. That's why lion's den or not, Daniel was not going to refuse to give God what God deserves. His utmost praise and adoration. And not just, look, Daniel gets caught praying, right? Right? That's, that's the, the act that gets him. Got him. But that's not it. Every moment of Daniel's life, that's the whole reason he's in this boat to begin with. Every moment of his life is lived in an act of worship to God. But the only reason Daniel can do that is because he's focused on the right storm. And once he is, he faces it just like Jesus, courageously. It says, now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. Daniel courageously faced his storm. You know, we sing that song, and when I fight, I fight on my knees, right? That's what Daniel does, right? He gets on his knees, and he refuses not to fight this fight. It's not the fight most of us would fight, right? Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, most of us are Peter, taking out our sword and chopping off people's ears, right? That's the fight we're there to fight. That wasn't the fight that Jesus was there to fight, though. And it's not the fight that Daniel's here to fight. You know, we would, our Western culture would love that. Like live action hero, you know, Daniel <laughs> busting out his machine guns and shooting everybody down. Yeah, that's my Bible. But that's not what he does. He continues to pray. He continues to glorify God. And he doesn't stop. Even when, guys, Daniel knew. Daniel knew these guys were coming for him, right? 
Remember these guys go to King, Dari or King Darius and they say, like, all of the satraps and prefects agree this is the law we should pass, right? Daniel was one of them. You remember that? He knew this was coming. And yet, when these jealous co-workers come knocking on his door, what does he do? Gets up real quick and pretends he's not praying? No. He stays right there. You know, there's, there's uh, we're just all sorts of cheesy worship quotes today. We're just hitting them all. But there's, there's the other cheesy worship quote, worship like nobody's watching, right? You ever dance like nobody's watching, then Christians steal it and make it a Hobby Lobby sign. You worship, worship like nobody's watching, right? But that's exactly what Daniel does. How many of us can say the same thing? Is your worship, does it look the same when you are in your room by yourself as it does when you are here on Sunday mornings? Does your worship look the same here on Sunday mornings as it does when you walk into work on Monday morning? On Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Most of us don't work on Saturday, but you get the idea, right? Or is it contingent upon who's watching you? Right? I, I have a phone voice. Do you guys, do you guys have a phone voice? If you, if you don't have a phone voice, you do have a phone voice. You just don't know it. You, but do you guys know what I mean? When you answer the phone, your voice completely changes. Right? You pick up the phone, hello, Jeremy. It's like, what? <laughs> who is that? Like, Jana will be in the room with me, like, who is this Jeremy? Because I don't know that Jeremy, right? But we all have a phone voice, right? Again, I know I'm, I'm on the worship leader just rag today. I'm killing them here. But worship leaders, lots of times they'll get the Australian accent when they're leading worship. Have you guys ever noticed that? Lift your hands to the Lord. It's like, what? You're from New York. You're not from Australia. Let's give them a shout of praise. Like, why do they develop this Australian accent when they're leading because Hillsong Worship Conference or something? But we all have a voice, right? And your voice changes, your personality changes depending on what type of friends you're around, right? Christian, do not change your voice. Not your physical voice. I don't, God doesn't care what your voice sounds like. But don't change how you worship depending on who you're around. Because if there is one thing that this story teaches us more than anything else, it's, I, I, I know what the lie is. There is a lie in the church today that your integrity can't win people for Christ. That we have to be culturally relevant. That we have to be able to identify with sinners and therefore Christians should sin just a little so that sinners feel comfortable around us. False. Show me in this book where it says that. It doesn't. I, I've read it. It doesn't say it. But there's this lie that if we just sacrifice our integrity a little bit, we'll be able to win more people. But that's not what happens in the book of Daniel. Daniel, by walking with integrity, he gets some heat, right? He catches attention from people who hate him and try to kill him. But he also catches the attention of someone else, and it's very interesting. King Darius, as soon as he finds out Daniel is caught in this trap, it says, as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, 
he kept exerting himself to rescue him. Now, you all heard from Emily. She had to read the longest scripture reading in the history of this church to date. There will be longer ones. Who's the unlucky one that gets it? We know how the story ends, right? There's nothing Darius could do. His hands were tied. They had this rule back then that once the the king put something in stone, once he stamped that law or decree, it was set. He can't just go back and change his mind. I think the United States needs that rule with some of our politicians, right? Once you make your mind, you can't change it. You've got to stay that way. But Darius is impacted, and it's not just here. This isn't an isolated verse. We see in verses 16 and then in verse 18, Then the king gave orders. Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Listen to this, y'all. And and let me just give you some context. Darius is not a Christian king. I know when we read all of these stories, we, you know, lots of times we think all these guys, oh, this, he was a good Christian man. False. Jesus didn't exist yet, so he couldn't have been a Christian, but he wasn't even Jewish, right? Darius is a pagan king, and what does this pagan king say? Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. Are you kidding me? Daniel lived with such integrity day in and day out that King Darius, a pagan with no faith, says, Daniel, I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know this. This God that you serve is going to deliver you from this. He doesn't even know this God, right? And then he continues in verse 18. Then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. Daniel's integrity had rubbed off on King Darius so much so that King Darius is fasting and praying and interceding to this God of Daniel's, this God of the universe. Please save him. Can you turn that microscope on yourself? You know your social circles, your spheres of influence, right? Do your friends who don't know Jesus, do you live in such a way around them that when your butt's on the line, when you're in the lion's den, they say, Jeremy, I don't know your God at all, but I'm going to him for you. Because you've always lived in such a way that I, I know he can deliver you. I don't know this God personally on my own, but through you I feel like I know him. And I'm going to go to bat for you for, to him. That's huge, isn't it? That is huge. But that's how Daniel lived day in and day out in a way that this pagan king is interceding for him. And then, this is how the story ends. Daniel spared from the lion's den, and Darius declares this. Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language who are living in the land. May your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom 
men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and enduring forever, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. Look, you cut this part out of the Bible and you stick it in the book of Psalms, no one would know that David's not the one writing this, would they? The pagan king Darius, worshiping the God of Daniel, all because Daniel lived with integrity. Don't you dare tell me that your integrity can't win people. Don't you dare tell me that you've got to sacrifice your morals in order to get people comfortable around you so you can win people to Christ. Walk with integrity. You know, we see something similar to this ending. Nebuchadnezzar actually does kind of the same thing. After Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are spared from the fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar turns on a dime, and all of a sudden he's saying very similar things about this God of the universe, right? But this turn with Darius, this is a level even deeper than that. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are delivered from the fiery furnace, right? Nebuchadnezzar sees the miracle and worships God. Darius doesn't even see the miracle, right? Before the miracle even happens, Darius is turning to the living God. Isn't that incredible? Fact of the matter is, it's easy to turn to God after you've seen a miracle, right? But it takes faith to turn to God before the miracle has happened. Doesn't it? It takes faith. And that's the kind of faith Darius has. Darius is comfortable in his palace. What does he care if this guy is killed by lions? But he sees the integrity with which David lives. And there's something deep within him that says, I want that. I want that in my life. And it causes him to plead on Daniel's behalf. Now listen, not everybody's going to love you for your integrity, right? Because fact of the matter is, while Daniel's sitting there in the lion's den, Darius is out fasting and praying for his deliverance. There's a whole set of co-workers opening the top shelf bottle of wine at home. Cheers! We got him! That promotion is ours. So yes, your integrity will turn people away. But your loose morals weren't going to win those people to Christ either. Walk with integrity, Christian. Walk with integrity. And the fact of the matter is, this, goes, we, this is all we teach here, y'all. This is, unfortunately, I feel like this is a lost art in the church, which it shouldn't be. But we lose this in the gospel. Because the fact of the matter is, in the gospel, we've got, you know, original sin. Yes, some people don't like to talk about it, but we are aware of it. We've got Jesus' death on the cross. We've got Jesus' resurrection from the grave. That's the gospel. False. Because fact of the matter is, the end part of that gospel is that Jesus ascended to heaven, 
sat down at the right hand of the Father, and on the day of Pentecost released the Holy Spirit. We ignore that in our gospel sometimes, though, don't we? Because the fact of the matter is that simple fact alone means that you have the living God inside of you. When you were filled with the Holy Spirit, when you accepted Jesus Christ, and you cannot accept Jesus Christ without the help of the Holy Spirit. You all know that? The Bible tells us that. Black and white. There's no options. Anyone who accepts that Jesus Christ is the Son of God does so because of the power of the Holy Spirit. That Spirit of God is living inside of you. Why in the world do we try to do it our way? Right? Because we talk about all of this integrity and all of this stuff, and it's, you know, when you say integrity, people start sweating, right? It's like, oh crap, that's, that's rule following. I gotta follow all the rules, and I gotta do better at this, and I gotta do better. You don't. What you gotta do is let go. You've gotta let go, and it's the hardest let go you will ever do because you've gotta do it daily. But you let go of doing it your way, and you say, Holy Spirit, I am here to do it yours. And you do it his way. But do you know what that means? That means that you walk in integrity. The Holy Spirit doesn't lead you in half integrity. Did you know that? The Holy Spirit doesn't lead you in half holiness, half obedience. Holy Spirit doesn't do half. He doesn't do partial at all. And when we walk by the Spirit, which we are commanded over and over again in the Bible, when we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, He leads us in all of this. You want to walk with integrity? Walk in the Spirit. Let go of Jeremy's way and walk the Spirit's way. And He will lead you. Because... Because the day of Pentecost happened, because the Holy Spirit was released, because anyone who calls on the name of Jesus Christ has unlimited access to that Spirit, we have a promise. And that promise is our anchor. We have said this over and over and over again. As long as we are walking by the Spirit, as long as we are walking daily, every moment of every day with Jesus Christ, we will not walk in anything other than perfect integrity. But what else does that mean? You guys remember what the anchor is? Right? Since this has been our point for the last two weeks, you all know what these are, right? But our anchor is that, that Christmas message, right? Emmanuel, God with us. That's our anchor. And it doesn't stop being our anchor with the Holy Spirit. He is the anchor. God himself with you every single moment of every single day. He is with you in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the fire, in the middle of the lion's den. And that's exactly who was with Daniel. When he had come, this is talking about Darius, when he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? 
Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me. Inasmuch as I was found innocent before him, and also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. See, sometimes, like in our story last week, Jesus literally shows up, right? In the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Jesus literally shows up. They see four men walking around in the fire, and one had the appearance as a son of the gods, right? Jesus shows up. But other times, Jesus stays behind the scenes. He doesn't show up. We can't see him, but he still provides, and he shows up in a way that no one can deny that he is with us. Now, you can read this story however you want. Daniel says, black and white, that an angel showed up and shut the mouths of these lions. I am a biblical literalist, which means I take the Bible as literally as possible. So I think an angel showed up that Daniel saw and shut the mouths of these lions. But even if you don't buy all of that, all right? God miraculously showed up. And for whatever reason, these lions did not consume Daniel. And we know this because, unfortunately, the next part of the story. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatsoever was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. Then king gave orders and they brought those men who maliciously accused Daniel and they cast them their children and their wives into the lion's den and they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones kind of a gruesome way to prove a point but here's the deal I this is going to sound unrelated but give me time I'll bring it back watched a program uh, years ago on National Geographic, and these historians and scientists painstakingly went through the ten plagues in Egypt. Remember Moses and his ten plagues? He does the ten plagues in Egypt, and eventually Pharaoh gets tired and sends him away. They went through each of those miraculous events, and they explained how, scientifically speaking, they were just natural phenomena. There was no, nothing miraculous about it, you know, the, the blood and the water, there's a certain algae bloom that would turn the water red and make it look red, and then the frogs, because of the algae bloom, the frogs would be getting out of the water, and so they'd come, and they went through every single one of these steps and scientifically explained how these could naturally occur. Because the fact of the matter is, for some people, not everyone, and this isn't a dig on science, I love science, but for some people, when you can't explain it, it makes us a little uncomfortable, right? And so we find all sorts of ways to wiggle around. Well, I mean, maybe the lions weren't hungry. I mean, maybe they threw, they, they had just eaten a really large meal before, and Daniel got thrown in there, and so they weren't hungry, or maybe he smelled so bad because they didn't have showers back then, and so they just were like, ugh, gross, and didn't want to eat him, right? Scientifically, we explain it away. But science can't explain how this 
single man named Moses knew at the exact right time when to raise his staff and when to make every single one of these ten natural phenomena happen in perfect order. Right? Sure, they were all natural events. At the complete control of this man of God. Right? And that's what we learn from the story of Daniel. Verse 24 is in there for all of these scientists looking to explain it away. The lions were very hungry. We learn it because these other people don't even hit the floor before the lions get fed. Right? No one can deny God showed up in that lion's den with Daniel. The storm came, the winds blew, but Daniel faced it with courage and clung to his anchor, the God who holds him steady through the waves of adversity. And that God was with him every moment in that lion's den. This side of heaven, we do not always see Jesus intervene. In fact, sometimes the reason that we struggle so much is because God doesn't intervene the way we want him to. Right? He doesn't heal somebody that we think deserves to be healed. He doesn't deliver us from a situation we feel like we should be delivered from. He doesn't vindicate us when we feel like we should be vindicated. In this world, spoiler alert, bad people succeed. People with integrity fail. People who say that they're following Jesus fail. We don't feel like that should be the case, right? Yet, God is sovereign. It's just like we sang. Even when I can't see it, he's working. Even when I can't feel it, he's working. He never stops working. I don't know what situation you're walking through right now. Like I said, I am sure there are more than a handful of you walking through situations right now. Trust your anchor. Trust your anchor. The God of the universe has promised that he is with you through every storm you will face. Drop that anchor and cling to it. Don't stop. Don't stop pleading for loved ones. Don't stop pleading for, for deliverance, for, for courage, for strength to get through this season. Don't stop clinging to Him. He will deliver you. You may not see it this side of eternity, but He has gone before you and he has already delivered you from this ultimate lion's den. He has reduced Satan's growls 
to nothing but little yips. Your God will hold you through the midst of any storm that you're walking through. That is his promise, not mine. Cling to him, and he will never let you go. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House Podcast. We pray that you were pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learned to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button. Leave us a rating and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you and remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.